Good evening. Oh, my goodness. Take two. All right. Good evening. That's a little better. Amen. Don't start falling asleep on me already. Amen. <laughs> anyway, uh, the story behind the piano, brother. Uh, about the same time, my dad taught me how to memorize scripture. I was watching my sister Margie play the piano. She's very good at it. And I wanted to play. So I started practicing with one finger and played by ear and uh, practice and practice. And my mom caught me one day and said, I think you have a talent. So I started playing and playing and practicing and I was encouraged and the rest is history. So there you have it. Amen. Anyway, uh, we would like to thank you for another opportunity of being here. And uh, I hope that it's been a blessing to you and will be a blessing to you. I'll introduce you to my friend down here in a minute. I have a question. Uh, will they hear me down there if I go down there? Okay, anyway, while he's doing that, uh, I want to again thank you and please pray for us as we travel. I did Skype my wife this afternoon and she is doing fantastic, uh, as best as she could be, but uh, she's getting plenty of rest. She's in good spirits and I think she's going to recuperate a lot quicker than they think and I'm excited about that. So uh, keep on praying for her and pray for me. I will be, it's kind of neat, uh, you know Brother Glenn Sadarsky. Well, I'm going to go to his brother's church next weekend, Brother Gary Sadarsky. <laughs> so uh, can't get enough Sadarskis lately, amen? <laughs> so anyway, that's where I'm going next weekend. So uh, pray for us as we travel, and I'm going to West Virginia, and then I'm going to uh, Wisconsin. So I keep busy here. Where's he at here? Okay, he, oh, there he is. Anyway. Uh, so that's what we're doing. So pray for us as we travel. And we do thank you for your uh, support. That does help a lot. And uh, God is using it in a tremendous way. There we go. So anyway, uh, please pray for us. And if you haven't stopped by the back table, please do so. We've been more than happy to help you out. Some have already stopped by and purchased books. So if you're interested, come and see me afterwards, and we'd be more than happy to help you. All right. If you have your King James Bibles, please turn over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10, and we ask that when you get there, stand out of the respect of God's word if you are able. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take upon you the whole arm of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Tonight, me and my friend Arnie have a question for you. Where is your armor? Where is your armor? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that this simple object lesson might speak to some heart tonight. I cannot do this myself. I need your wisdom, strength, and power. I ask, Lord, that you take over and speak to the hearts and that your word and your, your spirit does the convicting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Arnie. And he's Arnie the Armadillo. 
I found him in Texas at a, believe it or not, at a grocery store. Uh, some of you that maybe have been to Texas before, they have a big chain of grocery stores called H-E-B. And uh, the pastor I was doing the ride revival meeting with loved to go there at least once a day. They were always going there. So I went with him. He wanted me to tag along. And I was looking at the yard ornaments. Now, at first, my eyes caught sight of one of these longhorn steers. But they wanted over 60 bucks for one of those guys. I said, well, so much for that idea. And so I looked around and I saw this guy. He was, he was a lot more reasonable. So I bought him. And I got him back to the proper's chamber. And I skyped Mrs. Barker. And she thought it was the cutest thing she ever saw. And she said, that's going to look good in the front yard. And I said, I thought so too. Well, on the way home, driving back from Texas, I had him in the back of the front seat of the floor of the van. And I started looking at it. I thought, nope. He's not going to the yard anytime soon. He makes a perfect object lesson. And this is why. Army is an armadillo. The reason why they call him an armadillo is because all of his body is full of armor, except for the underside. The underside of an armadillo doesn't have any armor, but all the rest is protected. So when Army feels that he's being attacked or feels in danger, what he does is wraps himself up in a big ball. Nobody can get at him. And he stays that way until the danger's gone, and then he goes out about his business. Now, Army's special. He never takes his armor off. He sleeps with his armor on. He takes a bath with his armor on. He eats with his armor on. Arnie always has his armor on. Never takes it off. And his question to you is that here he is, a simple being that God made an animal and made us, human beings, to have the, the domination over the folly of the fish of the sea, the fish of the sea, and army. Yet we sometimes take off our armor. How is that? And army can't understand that. Being an armadillo has always his armor up. And by the way, they do have armadillos this size in Texas. They come in three sizes, and this is one of them. So this is kind of like a metal object lesson of a big armadillo. But we're going to talk about that tonight. And Arnie's got some questions here. And he wants to ask them to help you about your armor. So here we go. As we get into these, I hope this will help you. The first question is this. Are you having your daily devotions? Are you having your daily devotions? You say, preacher man, do you realize that you're talking to a Bible-believing church that encourages to read your Bible? Yes, I do. But you know what? You'd be surprised how many Christians come to church and pretend they're spiritual, and yet they've been reading their Bible all week, yet they really have not been reading their Bible. And this is why Arnie and I ask this question. Are you having your daily devotions? The Bible says in Job 23, verse 12, Neither have I gone back to the commandments of his lips. I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to have breakfast in the morning. Before I get busy doing something, I have to have breakfast. Now, most of you know I'm a type 2 diabetic, very mild, but I have to have food to take my pills with, but also nourishment so I can do things. So I have to have breakfast. Can you imagine going all week without food? Some people do that, spiritually. The only meal they get is maybe on Sunday morning when they hear the preaching. That's it. Oh, my soul. 
And then they wonder why they can't make the right decisions. Then they wonder why life is so miserable and how things are not going right and how they can't raise their kids right. I'll tell you why. Because they're really not having the spiritual food they need. Oh, we're, we're, we're in America. We love to eat. Now, what do we do? We're hungry. We eat. We not only have breakfast. We not only have lunch. We not only have supper. But some of you work a secular job. And I break, what do you do? I know. You go to the vending machine or bring a snack with you and you have that snack, right? And then what my wife and I love to do is once in a while in the evening, we'll watch a DVD. we got some free time. You know what we like to do when we're having a DVD time, brother? You know, snack, right? You know, kind of DVDs and snacks go together, don't they, right? Yes, sir. So we get out the sugar-free jello or something like that or sugar-free cookies or something and we have a good old-fashioned snack. But you know what? This is America. We love to eat. My question is, is how much do you love your Bible? How much do you feed yourself spiritually? My Bible says in Psalms chapter 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. My Bible says in Psalms 119, verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Did you hear that? My meditation all the day. When's the last time you got something out of God's Word that you could chew on all day long? This is what this is talking about. And this is why a lot of people have a hard time reading their Bible. This is why a lot of people have a hard time memorizing verses. It's because they're not taking the time out to meditate in God's Word. Take something out and chew on it. It's so, so important. Now, uh, where I was in Pennsylvania, they had a lot of farm country. And I saw some cows. And you know what these cows do all day long? They do this. Moo. Yeah. They chew on their cud. If they're not eating grass or they're not eating their feed, they're chewing their cud. You know, we can learn from them. We really could. We need to chew things up. We need to graze upon God's word. It's so, so important. So, so important. <laughs> Several years ago, uh, my sister Margie, the one that I learned how to play the piano from by watching her, uh, she married a pastor, which I'm glad, and we had our gathering, uh, one of our gatherings at their house, at the church, because we, the family was so big, and we were having a good time. We had our meal and everything, and we got out the games and the puzzles, and then Margie brought her attention to a table she had set up, and on this table it had green peppers, potato chip, potato chip dip, you know, black olives, you know, all the stuff you like to nibble on. And she said, now, family, she said, I know that you're going to get the nibbles during the day, so I have over here a table full of grazing food. And when you get hungry, just feel free to come over here and graze as you want and get what you want to eat through the day. Well, I heard this, and oh, man, my mind started going 90. So when it was time to snack, I got some of my nephews together, and I said, watch this. I said, oh, yeah, Margie, moo, grazing food, moo, Mar oh, this is good, moo. And so everybody's going, moo, grazing food. Everybody's getting a big kick out of it. And we did this all day long to tease Margie about it. Well, we got all done with everything, and I started driving back to Milwaukee, where I was an assistant pastor at. And I looked at my wife and said, you know what? There's a point to this. I think I'll put a whole message together on this, on grazing food. So I did. It just so happened about four weeks from then, I was invited to, of course, go and speak at that church. So that Sunday evening, in, our, uh, in Mar Margie's honor, I preached the message, grazing food. 
But you know what? There's a lot to this. We need to graze upon God's word. We need to have some spiritual food. We need some nourishment. You know, and it's so important. When's the last time you got the nibbles in God's word? There's nothing wrong with having nibbles once in a while when you're watching a DVD or at home or uh, having a snack at work. But hey, how about having the nibbles in God's word? You'd be surprised how much it would help you. All right, here's question number two. Does the Bible control your thought process? Does the Bible control your thought process? Now, back at Fairhaven, we have a program, you've probably heard of it, called Reformers Unanimous. And for some odd reason, they like me to come and preach there as much as I can. <laughs> they love me to come because I'm used to working with those type of people. And so I'm familiar with what they have, and they have these ten principles. And principle number three is, every sin has its origin in your heart. Or, before you ever did it, you thunk it. Let me say that again. Before you ever did it, you thunk it. Think about that. And all day long, as we said, human beings have these thoughts. And some of them are not the greatest thoughts, right? And sometimes, especially, you know, I can picture these mischievous Teasdale girls. You know, they got their halos on right now, right, brother? But when they get to the house, boy, I'll tell you what, they, the horns might start showing a little bit with all the mischievous things they do, right? Amen. Okay, I know, I was a preacher's kid, right? <laughs> anyway, what I'm saying is, is that we all have these thoughts. What do we do about them? How do we control them? Amen. Well, how about using the armor of God? The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verses 113 through 115, I'll repeat that again. Psalm 119, verses 113 through 115, it says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, your work is of iniquity. I will keep the commandments of thy God. Wow. Those are some good verses to battle. Or how about Proverbs 16.4? Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Or how about Proverbs 23.7? For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he, but his heart is not with thee. Sometimes as you go through the day, you ought to take a little inventory of what you're thinking about. And if you're having a problem with it, why don't you get into God's word and control it? Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. If only we would concentrate again, chewing on God's word and, and meditating upon it will help us think the right way and have the right kind of thoughts to go through the day. All right, question number three, Arnie has. Are you walking in the spirit? Are you walking in the spirit? You say, well, yes, that's true. I got that when I was saved. Well, that's true. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Got a little story to tell you. When I was an officer at the prison, one day I was working at Fordorm, and this Pentecostal inmate walked up to me, and he had about three or four buddies that came to the officer station with him. They wanted to see what was going to go on with this. And this guy looks at me and says, Preacher man, have you ever been anointed with the Holy Ghost? They don't say Holy Ghost. They say Holy Ghost. Okay? And he says, have you ever been anointed with the Holy Ghost? I said, yes. I said, I got that when I was saved. And I quoted him 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, oh, no, preacher man. He said, has anybody ever put their hands on you, laid their hands on you, and anointed you with the Holy Ghost? He said, I've been anointed with the Holy Ghost, and I am filled with the Spirit. And I looked at him, and I said, no, you're not. And the inmate says, whoa, 
Hey, preacher man, we got to hear this. How do you know he's not filled with the Spirit? I said, because my Bible says, and I quote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chapter verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Thinketh though evil. I don't know how I went with this. And I said, now listen. I said, if he was filled with the Spirit, he wouldn't be bragging about it. I said, do a study of the Holy Spirit. He never brags upon himself. He's very quiet, but he's very goes about his business. Never brags upon himself. And I said, besides that, I said, look at this passage. Did you look at him? I said, he might claim he's filled with the Spirit at Pentecostal meetings, but I've seen the TV programs he watches. I've seen the magazines he has in his locker. I've heard the language he speaks in this dorm. I said, that's not someone that's filled with the Spirit. That guy walked away. And the inmates that were left there said, preacher man, this is wonderful. We've been wanting to get this guy shut up for the last three weeks, and we didn't know what to do. Amen. Well, hey, it's important that we're filled with the Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine was excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Now, I love this illustration. As I told you this morning, the church in Milwaukee was loaded with guys and ladies that used to be ex-drunkards, druggards, and inmates. Well, I asked them, I said, now, how many here have ever been drunk? And they all raised their hand, oh, yeah, preacher man, we've been there. <laughs> I said, okay, uh, and, uh, bear with me now. Uh, what do you have to do to keep on being drunk? They go, oh, that's easy, preacher man. you got to keep on drinking. I said, exactly. So what do you have to do to keep on being filled with the Spirit? Oh, you've got to keep on getting your life in the right place so the Holy Spirit is in control. You've got to keep on drinking in God's Word. You've got to empty yourself of yourself, and you've got to be filled with the Spirit continually. Amen. Oh, yes, and how important that is. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of Amen. the flesh. Amen. Wow. Isn't that important? Remember the thought process? That's part of the lust of the flesh, by the way. But if we're walking in the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit is controlling us. Now, bear with me. This is important. The more we depend upon God's Word, the more we depend upon the Holy Spirit, because it's the author of the Bible. Therefore, the less we depend upon ourselves and our old nature, therefore, the more the Holy Spirit can control us. Wow. Galatians 5.25 goes on to say, Walk in the, it goes on to say, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk, if we, yeah, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then Galatians 5 verse 1, I love this verse. Stand fast in the liberty which Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Especially the last part. Be ye not entangled in the yoke of bondage. There's a lot of Christians that are walking around in bondage. Why? Because the old nature has control of their lives. They don't have their armor on. And the Holy Spirit is trying their hardest to convict them of it. And once in a while they might get right in a church service or maybe once in a while in their devotions. But most of the time they're struggling. Why? Because they are not being walking in the Spirit. They have not let the Holy Spirit control their lives. So important. Oh, now question number four gets a little more serious. What armor are you using to resist temptation? Ooh, see how this is in order? What armor are you using to resist temptation? The Bible says in Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How do we put the Lord Jesus Christ on? Well, obviously we don't put them on like we put our clothes on. No. What does it mean? It means about being filled with the Spirit. It means to be Christ-like. The Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So, if we're supposed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, let's see how he resisted temptation. Take your King James Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see something here. Because we were talking about being filled with the Spirit. This takes place right after the baptism of Jesus. And at the baptism of Jesus, as you well know, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So, right after that, in chapter 4, it says, Then was Jesus led by who? By the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards in hunger. Whoa. Now, wait a minute. We talked about food. This is the lack of it. How would you like to go 40 days and 40 nights without food? Now, the devil knew this. Now, remember, this is a real temptation. Jesus was God, but human being at the same time, so he knew just where to hit him. The tempter came on and said, What? If thou be the Son of God, commandeth these stones be made bread. Oh, can you imagine going through Jesus' mind about how tasty that those stones would be bread? And he could do that, wouldn't he? But how did Jesus do it? How did he resist them? I know he went, put them up, put them up, put them, put them up. I'll fight you with one hand behind my back. Is that what he did? Or did he get out of his car and say, All right, devil. Don't you move. I got you covered. Oh, I knew it the spiritual way, right? All right, devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Is that what he did? No. Look at the passage. Verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 7. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 10. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Every single time, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Keep in mind, our Bible tells us, the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we were, yet without sin. This was just a little drop in the bucket of the temptations that Jesus had against the devil. And every single time, I'll bet your bottom dollar, what did he do? He quoted the word of God. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, every place Jesus went was all according to God's word. The same passage we started with, Ephesians 6, verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Wow. Think about that. This is so important. And then Psalms chapter 40 verse 8 says, I do like to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. God's will is always according to God's word. Only if we would slow down and ask ourselves, is this according to the Bible? Should I be doing this? Should I be reading this? Should I be saying this? Should I be going here? All this we should consider according to God's word. How much trouble we would save in our lives if only we would get a hold of this verse. 
And realize that. By the way, it'll also drive you to memorize some verses. Amen? That's my ministry, you know, Scripture Memory Ministry. Well, this will help you tremendously because now you have to have a verse for everything you do and a verse for everything you don't do. How important that is. How important that is. I can picture the Apostle Paul talking about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And he was in a prison cell. It wasn't like the one I had back at Westville. They were in a dormitory. They had ice-cold drinking fountains, a microwave, a coffee pot, two color TVs with cable. I don't think Paul had all that. He was kind of like in a dungeon setting, and he, it was kind of dark and damp and probably rats running around, and he probably only got bread and water for food. But that didn't bother Apostle Paul. He was, he was, out the, he was about the Lord's business. And here he's writing to the church of Ephesus, and he gets to about chapter 6 here, and he starts thinking about the armor of God. And because Paul had a reputation of uh, chains falling off of him, and angels leading him out of prison, and earthquakes happening, they decided they better put a Roman soldier by the door. And Paul's looking at this Roman soldier thinking, hey, stand right there. You make a perfect object lesson. And you look at Ephesians chapter 6 and the pieces of armor, and it matches perfectly the armor of a Roman soldier. Think about it. The helmet, the breastplate, and, and feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace, and the loins girded about the truth, and the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. I don't know how it goes. It's all there. It's really neat. You see, I'm not the only one that believes in object lessons. But Paul, under the inspiration of God, put this in the Bible for you to realize that you can resist temptation. But you've got to use the armor of God to do so. You cannot do it yourself. Last question, number five. Are you really trusting in the Lord? Are you really trusting in the Lord? You say, preacher man, I trust the Lord. Yeah, a lot of people say that. But wait a minute. Do you trust the Lord when things go wrong? When you have problems in your life, or maybe a friend of yours or a family member has COVID-19 and it's serious, are you trusting in the Lord then? When you have financial problems, are you trusting in the Lord? You see, it's easy to trust the Lord when things are going nice. But when things start going wrong, are you really trusting in the Lord? My Bible says in Psalm 62, verse 8, Trust in the Lord at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. How are we supposed to trust the Lord? At all times. We're supposed to pour out our hearts before him. Now, I remember like yesterday when I was a boy and something was wrong. What did I do? I called my dad. Yeah, he was my stronghold. I'll never forget this. I must have been about eight years old, Brother Teasdale. And we had watched this movie on TV about worms. It was kind of gory, but it was kind of neat for me. I thought it was neat. But I didn't know that when I went to bed, I would have dreams about this. And I woke up a half an hour later, and I looked at my bed, and I saw all these wrinkles. You know what I thought they were? I thought they were snakes. I was scared to death. And I started, Dad, 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 there's snakes in my bed. Dad, Dad, there's snakes in my bed. And my dad comes into the bedroom and said, what's wrong? I said, Dad, look at all these snakes in my bed. They're going to get me. Now, my dad was a very heavy set man. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll fix them snakes. And so he would sit on all the wrinkles and, and smooth them out and say, here, I got this snake, and I got that snake, and I got this snake. And he said, by the way, he said, oh, those weren't snakes, he said, those were only wrinkles. But you know what? I felt so much better after my dad came in and made everything right. 
Hey, to this day, when my wife and I make the bed, I always say, we got to get the snakes out of it. Amen? <laughs> well, anyway, I use this illustration because why? I was trusting in my dad. And you know, my dad fixed it all. When's the last time you did that with your heavenly father? We're always pushing the panic button. The last thing we do is call upon God. No, no, no. That should be the first thing we do. He's our daddy. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 verse 15, For God did not give it a spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He is my daddy. And when I need something, I run to him. Just like these girls, I can picture, Daddy, Daddy. Well, you know what? We need to do the same thing with God. He's our daddy. We need to do that. The Bible says in Psalm 71, verse 1, And thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Wow. I like that verse. Psalms 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalms 56, verses 3 and 4. Psalms 56, 3 and 4. What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. And God I will praise his word. And God I will put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And then here's familiar verses for you. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Amen. And lean not to thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. I'm going to tell the story. I don't know if I've told it here or not, but I'm going to tell it anyway because I think it fits in this message. Uh, I, I see these girls here, and um, what's your name, sweetheart? I can't hear you. Brooklyn, okay. This girl was about Brooklyn's age in this story. And she went with her mom to the store. And they had these bubblegum machines, gumball machines, but they also had some machines with these plastic toys in them. And she asked her mom for a quarter so that she could get a plastic toy, and she'd been a good girl, so mom said, sure. So she got this out, she opened it up, and it was a, a fake pearl necklace. And oh, she just loved this thing. She put it around her neck, and oh, she was so excited. Yeah, she loved it so much that she wore it to school, she wore it to church, she wore it to bed. She wore it in the bathtub. She never took it off. Oh, yeah, she loved that fake pearl necklace. Now, every night, her daddy, just like Pastor Teasa, I can picture him doing this. Every night, daddy would come up and tuck her in and give her a kiss goodnight and pray with her. Well, this night, after he got done with all that, he looked at her and said, Sweetheart, do you love your daddy? And she said, Oh, daddy, I love you. Would you do anything for your daddy? And she says, Oh, daddy, I'd do anything for you. And he said, okay. He said, would you be willing to give me that pearl necklace? The girl kind of paused and said, well, I'm going to have to think about that one. And for the next two weeks, every single night, Dad did the same thing. Sweetheart, do you love me? Would you do anything for me? Would you be willing to give me that pearl necklace? And every night she said the same thing. But then two weeks later, finally her heart was broken a little bit. He walked up there, did the same thing. He prayed with her, kissed her goodnight, everything. He said, sweetheart, do you love me? And all of a sudden, her lips started going like this. <laughs> yes, daddy, I love you. Would you be willing to do anything for me, sweetheart? Yes, daddy, I'll do anything for you. <laughs> Would you be willing to give me that pearl necklace? And she starts crying. Her hands are shaking. And she says, yes, daddy. And so she takes it off little by little and takes it over her head and hands it to daddy, puts it in her right hand. And her daddy reaches into his left-hand pocket and pulls out a real pearl necklace. It puts it around her neck. 
And she got, stops crying and says, Daddy, you gave me another necklace. Is this real? And he said, Yes, sweetheart. And he said, I've had it in my pocket for about two weeks. Wait for you to give up that phony necklace. And you know what? Some of us sitting right here are doing the same thing with God. God's got this wonderful pearl necklace he wants to give us. And we're holding on to our fake pearl necklace. All these things that we think are so important in our lives. All our fleshly lusts and all of our filthy thoughts. And, and if we'd only get rid of all this and put it on the armor of God, God would give us that pearl necklace. He'd give us that blessing if he wanted to give us. But we have to earn it. We've got we to gotta be in the right position that we can use it. How about you tonight? Are you willing to give up that fake pearl necklace? So that's why Arnie and I ask this question. Where is your armor? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. No looking around. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And if God has spoken to your heart, you need to come and do something about it. In the meantime, just sit there and think a minute. About what you had. We asked five simple questions tonight. How did you do? Something to think about, isn't it? They were basic questions that every Christian should think about. Tell me you wrote them down, and that's good. Because maybe you need to go home and have a heart check. Remember this morning we talked about open heart surgery? Well, maybe tonight you need to go home and have a heart check about these things. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you might bless this invitation and that we will learn like Arnie to keep our armor on at all times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You'll stand your feet with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And as the piano plays, if God has spoken to your heart, the altar's open.